Welcome into Running for the Roses. I'm Ryan Baff, Lucas, joined by Lucas Rohde. Uh, Lucas, we uh, are now about to turn the page to another month here. We got one more weekend in September. We just are coming off of a loaded week four, maybe the best weekend, uh, at least on paper, of the college football season. Excited to recap it with you, my friend. How are you this evening? I'm doing very well, Ryan. Thank you so much for asking. And, and yeah, uh, we're getting closer, deeper into fall. Starting to feel like it here a little bit weather-wise. And yeah, we're about to head into the greatest uh, month, I think, out of the year in October. I agree with you on that, by the way. Like, October to me is the best <laughs> month of the year. You get falls, you know, leaves starting to change color. In Arizona, it finally starts to getting cooler. Um, it's the best sports month, right? You have MLB playoffs. You have full college football and NFL on Saturdays and Sundays. Basketball and hockey start up. Like, it's just – it's awesome. November, uh, October, and then maybe a little bit of November is my favorite time of the year for sure. Yeah, Sam, Sam. And I'm, I'm biased because my birthday's in November. So uh, – uh, and also, yes, it's a, it's a great time of the year. And you have the greatest holiday that happens uh, in the month of October and Halloween. So, uh, only a month out from that. <laughs> uh, Lucas might be going as uh, as Luke Fickle with the uh, with the sweater vest with T E A M on the back. <laughs> Can't wait for that. It's gonna be fun. Put the headset on. It'd be great. Um, all right, <laughs> Lucas and I will uh, will recap a loaded uh, week four here. We'll uh, we'll give out our roses here in a minute, and then we'll uh, we will recap week four. We're gonna play. I think I know a game that uh, Lucas uh, brought up to me a couple days ago where we're going to kind of recap week four, kind of the main storylines with uh, I think I know something. Uh, I have no idea, you know, fill in the blank kind of game. So we'll get to that here shortly, <laughs> and then we'll move on to week five, the final week in September. Lucas, weird to say, uh, most teams already have four games on the book. Some teams have five games. So we, are, we are moving through this college football as we get ready to turn the page to October. Uh, Lucas, let's uh, let's talk roses here. I will let you go first. Um, who gets your weekly rose this week? So, doing a little bit differently. We're both, I think, we have two yes. roses that we're giving yep. out. Uh, my first one is more of a ceremony or an honorary rose um, because this guy no longer plays college football, but just maybe the biggest sports story probably of the weekend, and that is uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift um, are a thing. And obviously Taylor Swift was at the Chiefs game yesterday, was seen leaving with Travis Kelsey after the game, kind of made that official. But now kudos to him, one, for landing maybe the biggest pop star on the planet or music star on the planet, Um, but also because it's resulted in Travis Kelsey now having a top five selling jersey in the NFL, gained over 300,000 followers on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So so kudos to him uh, for getting that. Uh, just wanted to, to put that out yeah. there, even though this is a college football pod. He did play college football at one time at Cincinnati, so I guess that counts. But my actual rose for the week um, is going to uh, what Lee Corso called the Nobody Wants Us Bowl, and that was uh, between Washington State and Oregon State, getting to the quarterback of Washington State, Cam Ward, who uh, went off in a huge win for the Cougars. They they beat they defeated Oregon State 38 to 35. Uh, they are now 4 and 0 and 1 and 0 in conference. But Cameron Ward 28 28 to 34, 404 yards, four touchdowns. 
continuing what has been a fantastic 2023 season for him. The former FCS transfer quarterback uh, has uh, over 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns, and most importantly, no interceptions. Uh, has been a complete dual threat and dynamic player for Washington State and pretty probably the biggest reason why they're off to the start that they are. Um, and one of the better stories, I think, in college football. And I think we have to start mentioning him here for maybe a dark horse Heisman candidate, um, especially if Washington State continues this semi-magical run that they're still on. Yeah, Cam Ward is probably, what, the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the Pac-12, and he'd be, <laughs> he'd be, he would start on how many SEC teams? All of them? Oh, 13, man. 12 yeah. of them? Right? Same thing with the ACC and the Big 12. Pac-12 absolutely loaded a quarterback. Uh, I mentioned to you, Lucas, before we we, uh, we pressed record, that loss to, was to uh, Washington State looking better and better every week for Wisconsin. The Cougars are for real. They get a big win over Oregon State down in, or up there in Pullman. All right, I have two roses as well. Um, I'm giving mine to a pair of head coaches. First one's going to go to Kyle Whittingham. Utah uh, beats UCLA 14-7. to And, Lucas, somehow the youth, which are essentially running a wildcat offense without Cam Rising, who's missed every game this year. They have played three Power 5 teams in four weeks, uh, and they are 4-0. I mean, Utah, a team that I think we both took their under eight and a half wins, who we thought might get passed up by Oregon and UCLA um, as kind of the biggest challenger to USC. All Utah does is find ways to win. That's all they do. 14 to seven. They got a pick six on the first play of the game from that Utah defense. They never look back. Not the most exciting game. Um, they're uh, only 21 combined points in Salt Lake City, but Utah, so well coached. They. They beat Florida at home. Florida's now ranked. Uh, they beat Baylor on the road in week two, and then a win over a ranked UCLA team. Two wins over ranked teams without their starting quarterback. Just uber impressive for Utah. And then I'm giving my second rose to uh, Dave Braun, the interim head coach at Northwestern. Uh, they come back and beat Minnesota in overtime, 37-34. to 34. The Wildcats were down 20 by 21 points, 31 to 10 after three quarters. They rallied and scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. A.J. Henning catches an 11-yard pass from Ben Bryant with two seconds left to send the game into overtime. And then um, uh, Northwestern wins it on a Charlie Menagerie 25-yard pass, a walk-off from Ben Bryant. The Wildcats won only one game in 2022. They obviously you had Pat Fitzgerald, their long term, their long, uh, long tenured coach fired, and um, in the in the just before the season uh, because of, of of the hazing scandal, Wildcats already have one more win than they did all of last season. They are two and two. They have a win in the Big Ten for the first time since twenty twenty one. Admittedly, they completely killed the parlay that me and Dakota had. We we had a, a six leg <laughs> money line parlay that hit every leg except for Minnesota. <laughs> Arguably the worst beat that I have ever uh, that I have had this year. Lucas's headphones came flying off his head when he when that happened. One of the worst beats I had. Dakota's texting me and goes, "Man, we just need Minnesota to hold on," and they were up twenty one <laughs> in the fourth quarter against Northwestern and lost that one in overtime. But kudos to David Braun and Northwestern for being two and two on the season. No kudos to them. I think we both thought Northwestern was somewhat of a dead team walking. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, especially after week one. But, um, you know, kudos to them. Down 21. It looked like it was just going to be another kind of 
they're going to get walked or they're going to get uh, steamrolled here in the fourth quarter. Minnesota, pretty good defensively, at least has been this year and hit the last three, four, five seasons. And they just kind of went off. Uh, Minnesota didn't really have any like bad turnovers or anything. This was just their offense really starting to click. Interested to see if that does continue to follow up. But uh, not to not to rag on Minnesota too much, but oof. It has not been, I don't think, the start of the season that many Minnesota fans were expecting, um, especially you know, especially the opening one, or that week one win over Nebraska. Uh, each week looks less and less, um, uh, uh, less and less impressive, and then obviously they kind of got steamrolled down at, at North Carolina with Drake May, and then you follow that up with a loss to Northwestern, who most people thought was the worst team in the Big Ten. Uh, interesting to see how Minnesota reels from that moving forward, too. Yeah, Minnesota 2-2. Two and two, They still have to play Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan. Tough sledding ahead for the Golden Gophers. All right, we're going to do a little Week 4 recap here. Uh, Lucas, it was a loaded week on paper. I'm not going to say the week didn't live up to the hype. You had a really good game at Clemson between the Seminoles and the Clemson Tigers. Oregon throttles. Uh, Colorado, the Buffaloes, I guess you could say got exposed, obviously playing without Travis Hunter and, and playing, I think, a much better team. UCLA, Utah, kind of a, a, a tough game to watch, um, but kind of a, a, a back-and-forth game there. Alabama just kind of outlasts Ole Miss um, in a game that I don't think many people thought Alabama was in danger of losing, especially kind of in the second half. Penn State throttles mm-hmm. Iowa 31-0. to um, so maybe not the drama that, that we've had in some other weeks. I think that often kind of comes to fruition. When you have a loaded week on paper, it doesn't always live up to the hype. But we're going to play uh, a little game of I think I know. So Lucas and I, there are three options that we will choose from. We can say I think I know, insert statement. I think I think I know, insert statement. And then I have no idea. So different levels of certainty of, of where we're at here after four weeks of the season. So I will let you go first, Lucas, with your your first um, your first topic here. Yeah, so I'm going to start with I think I know, and that is uh, starting with kind of what was the first real big game of this past Saturday, and it is that I think I know that Clemson not adapting to modern college roster building is what is setting them back right now. And this was something I thought, uh, just because watching these two programs and the way they've kind of built themselves, obviously Clemson rose to prominence with the way, you know, they're, and they still f- uh, facilitate themselves as a very old fashioned kind of football program. They don't really take transfers at all uh, into the transfer portal. They still have kind of an old school way of recruiting kids and develop, and, you know, they still want to develop, retain, which I think is great. But then you have a team on the other side, Florida State, whose whole rebuild to prominence really has been by, yes, they've been recruiting slightly better, but they've been masterful at plucking guys from the transfer portal. And you look at the difference makers in that game, you know, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, Jordan Travis, you know, Trey Benson, yeah, Jordan Travis, um, all these guys, um, you know, coming from, you know, not starting necessarily at Florida State. But I think you're seeing how Mike Norvell has just done a fantastic job of finding these type of players, um, evaluating what their college career has been, and then being able to put them in a position for success. And I think Clemson could learn a thing or two. I'm not saying Clemson should go out and get 10 to 15 transfers every year, but you cannot tell me that they could not have gotten like a stud wide receiver 
to come there out of the portal or to fill some of the holes that they may have um, on that team. And look, and I think the thing that's frustrating is Clemson, I don't think, is far away. They played Florida State as well as anybody has this year. They, their defensive line is still really, really good. Florida State had averaged less than two yards, of, or I think less than a yard of carry <clears throat> on the ground, 1.1 yards per carry. And yet they were basically like a scoop and score away um, from that game or from, from winning that game. And I just think, I think we've seen Dabo kind of slow to adapt. He probably should have gotten a stud offensive coordinator a few years ago instead of waiting until last year to get Garrett Riley. And I think that kind of their, um, what I think now is kind of a backwards view of how to build a modern college roster, I think is hurting him. We even see Alabama, Georgia, they don't take a lot of transfers, but they're still going to get four or five guys that they know they can plug and play to help fill holes in their roster. And I think that's something Dabo needs to take sight of. And I think they kind of maybe needs to get a little bit over his ego. Um, and start doing this. Otherwise, I think they might fall even further behind in the ACC. Yeah, so I had a Clemson-related topic uh, as well. I I said I think I know Clemson is not one of the two best teams in the ACC. Tigers are 0-2 in conference. It's it's the Tigers and Boston College in the cellar of the ACC, which is is pretty crazy. I think last time Clemson started 0-2 in the ACC was 2010. Uh, We just don't (laughs) see it. And I agree with you, Lucas. I think what Dabo tries to do is very admirable. Uh, The development... Mm -hmm the focus on culture, the focus on team building from the inside and not going out and getting some mercenaries. But your margin for error when you do that is very slim. And if you miss on guys at wide receiver, right? Keon Coleman's a good example, right? You brought him up. Like, Clemson could have got that guy, and he would have immediately bolstered their receiving core. Instead, they say, no, we'll develop the third-year player, the second-year player. Well, if that player doesn't develop at the level you need him to, then you're falling behind teams like Florida State. I think they're falling behind North Carolina. They're falling behind Notre Dame. Not that Notre Dame's in the ACC, but, like, you get my point, right? Like, they're just falling behind. Um, but then I look at this game, and Clemson outgained Florida State 429 to 311. Clemson had 25 first downs. Florida State had 16. Clemson had the ball for almost 10 more minutes. And it was the number four team in the country. Clemson probably should have won this game. The, the, the thing that was mind-numbing to me was Clemson gets the ball with, like, I think six, seven minutes left oh. in the game. And yep. they immediately go into a prevent offense. Everything is slow, methodical, and you could tell that they were just going to play for the field goal. And that makes some sense, Lucas, if your kicker wasn't out of the program six days ago. Jonathan Wheats <laughs> was literally – he had retired from college football and was going to start an internship in New York. He was taking online classes at Clemson. And he was they, they literally needed to bring him in on like Tuesday. So he makes his mm-hmm. first kick and, and you know they're they're showing his family in the press box and it's a great story and like his boss is there. And then all of a sudden you're like he's he, he misses a thirty yard field goal with like a minute left that would have maybe not won the game, but would have put him in a spot to win the game. Why are you doing that when you have a kicker that literally wasn't on your team a week ago? It doesn't make any sense. Like, and that's the old school thinking that Dabo has. Like, I just don't understand that. I do not understand it. It was maddening when it happened. And guess what? That's, that's what you get, Clemson. You're 2-2. Two and two, You're 0-2 mm-hmm. in the ACC. And your ceiling for this year is what? Like, the Citrus Bowl? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're probably not going to even go to a New Year's Six Bowl. I think they have, what, 12 straight years of double-digit wins? Something like that. That's in serious jeopardy 
um, in Clemson. Yeah, and because you looked at the first half, they were playing aggressive. They were playing fast, and they were up by 10. It was at 17-7 to 7 at one point, and I completely agree with you. Some of the play calling was just mind-numbing to me, and when you're, when you're, when you're Clemson, you've won recent national titles, you're at home playing another top-five opponent, and they were playing not to lose instead of playing to win, and it completely backfired um, on them, as it should. As it should. Meanwhile, Florida State, man, still for real. Um, like you said, they could have easily lost this game, but they didn't. And they are, as they were coming into the year, I think they are now proved themselves to be the clean, clean, clear favorites in the ACC. Uh, we'll, and we'll see where they go. And, hey, Clemson, you mentioned 0-2. This week, we'll, we'll probably talk about later. They're going to a place that they don't typically play well um, at either. Syracuse, and right? Uh, yeah. Uh, up in Syracuse against an undefeated Syracuse team, uh, mind you. Um, all right, what did you have for one of your observations? Yeah, so I uh, my first one's going to be, I think I know Georgia should not be ranked number one in the country. Um, and, and this goes back to my, my hatred of preseason polls and my hatred that in college football right now, if you start preseason number one, you basically get a free pass to play as poorly as you want until you lose. So Georgia beats UAB 49-21. Georgia was up 7-0 after the first quarter. It was 14-7 with uh, just under about three minutes to go. Georgia started to pull away in the second quarter. It was 28-14 at halftime. And I'm, I just, I've watched a little bit of Georgia here and there, and they, I know that they're probably sleepwalking through the schedule. I know they're probably not taking UAB seriously. But what has Georgia showed us in four weeks that says that they should be ranked above Florida State, they should be ranked above Texas or Ohio State? Ohio State, I'm sure, is going to get to. Or Washington. Ohio State has a huge win at Notre Dame, a top-10 team. Florida State has wins at Clemson and on a neutral side against LSU, who's in the top, who's in the top 15. Texas has a win on the road against Alabama. And Washington has also played three non-Power 5 teams, but they've demolished them. And the only Power 5 team, they I'm sorry, they played two non-Power 5 teams. And their only road game in non-conference, they throttled Michigan State. Like, I don't know why we just have to have this precedent. Because, Lucas, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Georgia's not going to play anyone this year. Like, maybe Florida in Jacksonville, they play Tennessee the second to last week of the season, and then Georgia Tech to end the season. Like, that's it. The SEC East is just very mid. I mean, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, their two cross-divisional games are Mississippi State, who lost by, what, 28 to LSU, and then uh, Auburn, who just lost at Texas A&M by 17. So are we just going to keep Georgia at number one, no matter what anyone else does? I just th- I think it's ridiculous. I'm not saying that – I mean, listen, Georgia might end up 13-0 and, and, and winning the SEC. But are we ever going to, like, say that the games this year actually count? Because I don't know how Georgia's still number one if that's the case. All right, rant over. Well, <laughs> well I think you bring up, like, the, the biggest issue with polls is there's so much data and preconceived notions from p- previous years that are baked into these. And it's also that and also people thinking like, well, we expect Georgia to be number one at the end of the year. So we're going to do it until anything else uh, changes. And look, it's the AP poll at the end of the day. Now that doesn't matter as much, but it does influence what the college football playoff committee looks at. 
because they're going to look at, well, what type of plays? Well, they played, you know, a team that was ranked in the AP top 25 at the time. And, and to me, that's where if the college football committee, and I know this is still, what, another month or so before we even release these polls, if they really, if they really believe that strength of schedule is a significant factor, there's no way, even at that point, even if Georgia's undefeated, unless all the other teams behind them lose one or two games, there's no reason that they should be number one in the country because I completely agree. If, if this was any other team, let's say, for example, um, I'm trying to think of like, oh, like Washington State, for example, right. started the year unranked. They played this schedule 4-0. They're not even getting votes to be ranked 25th. Yep. Like, <laughs> and it's just this preconceived, like, to me, it's just like, the AP, like, I get it. They're the two-time defending champs. They recruit better than anyone else right now. Uh, and we expect them to be there, or we were expecting them to be one of those final four teams at the end of the season. But it's like, right now, like, you could easily vote, like you mentioned, Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio State. All of those teams easily should, or Oregon, excuse me, all those teams should be ranked higher than Georgia right now. And, like, why can't we just rank Georgia, like, fifth or sixth in the country? If these polls don't really matter, then it shouldn't care. But, yeah, I, I am with you. Um, and like you said, their next ranked opponent is not until November. So, um, yep. and we've discussed this before. If they lose one game on this schedule, unless they win the SEC championship, they should not be. Even if they, even if they go to the SEC championship undefeated and they lose that game, yep. I mean, like I said, a lot can change from now, but there's no reason based on the schedule that they should be in. But... Yeah, just real quick, one correction. They uh, Georgia does get Ole Miss instead of Mississippi State. I got Georgia and Alabama confused. Okay. So, well, Ole Miss uh, should Georgia, not be ranked at all. Yep, they're they're ranked twentieth right now. <laughs> what? Uh, Georgia's next three games. They have they're off this week. Oh, I'm sorry. They they have Auburn this week. Then they have Kentucky. Then they have Vanderbilt before a bye week. They'll end with Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss at Tennessee and at Georgia Tech. All right, go ahead for your uh, your next topic here. So mine kind of is on this one. So, um, oh, so I think I know that um, Iowa may have the worst power, worst offense once again in the in the Power Five. Yikes! <laughs> I did not watch a lot of this game. I'll be honest, um, just because once I once I turned it on, it was like ten nothing, and I think Iowa State or Iowa fumbled, and um, basically Penn State scored. I'm like, okay, Iowa's not going to score seventeen points in this game. They just aren't. I mean, these numbers, like, you could even make up numbers to be this bad for a Power 5 offense. And not just a Power 5, but, an off, but a team that is 3-1. I think that is the, the most glaring thing. A team that is 3-1 won seven games last year, but 56 total yards passing. <laughs> 20, 20 yards rushing on 17 carries. It is, it just is mind-boggling to me. And, look, I am not an Iowa fan. I'm the furthest thing from an Iowa fan. I despise that team in that state. But I I feel for Iowa fans. Like, you, a, a respectable Power 5 program that Iowa is should not put up with this. And I, I don't It's And then you have the whole drive. And they're a laughing stock. Like, the whole drive to 325 has become a mockery of, like, with us and basically the whole college football world. And then you go out, and this is what you show on net. And this was prime time on CBS, and this game wasn't even close. And their defense actually played pretty well. I mean, 
Penn State ran almost 100 plays in that game and still had less than 400 yards. And so it just is mind-boggling that they put up with this. And you brought in you know, Cade McNamara, you bring in Eric All, you bring in Caleb Ryan to help revitalize this offense. And I'm thinking, okay, they're bringing these guys in because it's going to be a different story. But you still keep the guy who's calling the plays. And if anything, it looks almost worse than it was a year ago because I think you have better players playing in the system, and yet you're getting the same results, which makes it 100 times worse. Yeah, the numbers, you mentioned a few of them, Lucas, are truly staggering. Iowa, 76 total yards, four turnovers, four first downs. Four first downs is just absolutely striking. Penn State had 28. They had seven times the amount of first downs as Iowa. Time of possession, 45-27 to 14-33. Really tough for your defense to do anything when they're on the field for three quarters of the game. I mean, just absolutely brutal. Penn State, the Penn State defense might just be really, really good. good. Um, and, and that, I think if you're Iowa, the silver lining is Penn State, again, might be the best team in the Big Ten. Um they throttled Illinois on the road, and they throttled Iowa at home. They forced nine turnovers on defense in the last two games. That defense is really good, but you're absolutely right. Cade McNamara had 42 passing yards. He completed five passes. Iowa Iowa just can't run the football in general. So the offensive line, I just I don't think it's as dominant as we've seen it. You know, you look at kind of all – Iowa is known for the guys on the offensive and the defensive lines. Um, you know, A.J. Epineza, you know, Tristan Wirfs, um, guys like that. And I don't know if they have them this year. Um, I, I don't know if they do. And they certainly don't have the skill position, guys. No. Um, my, my next one kind of goes off of that. And it's, I think, I think, I think I know the Big Ten West is very down in 2023. Um, <laughs> Iowa, <laughs> Iowa, yeah, Iowa was your pick to win the Big Ten West. Mm-hmm. They had the the type for Wisconsin for the highest over-under win total, and they lose by 31 at a team that was projected. Now, who knows where they'll finish, but projected to be the third-best team in the Big Ten East. Uh, We look around the Big Ten West. Illinois beats Florida Atlantic by six points. They were down, I think, 10-0 to in that game. Uh, Nebraska beat Louisiana Tech by 14. Minnesota, we talked about them. They lose to Northwestern. Um, Purdue... Does not look good. They're one and three under Ryan Walters. Wisconsin beats them on Friday night. Listen, I could be wrong. Maybe Wisconsin goes 10, 11 wins. But I just, like last year when Purdue won the league, I think at eight or won the division at eight and four, I think that's what you're looking at with this division. Mm-hmm. I mean, Illinois looks considerably worse than last year. Purdue, considerably worse than last year. Minnesota, considerably worse than last year. You know, Iowa looks exactly the same as last year, funny <laughs> enough. And Wisconsin, like, I don't I don't know what to think about Wisconsin right now. I think the loss of Washington State, while it raised some eyebrows, like, that is aging pretty well. Um, I'm sure you can tell me if they get Iowa at home or not. But, they like, that, it's at, it's that, might, that might decide who wins the Big Ten West because Minnesota, Illinois, Purdue are non-factors. I don't think Northwestern will be a non-factor, although what a story that would be if Northwestern <laughs> somehow wins seven or eight games. But – I mean, I just we know we've made fun of the Big Ten West for a while, but it's it's really stark for me to see these teams really, really struggle. And when you have these cross divisional matchups, I mean, think of the atmosphere in Penn State, right? It was a whiteout; they had like mm-hmm. a second most uh, attendance ever for a college football game. It was awesome; the visuals were great, and you lose by thirty-one points. You're just not competitive in that game. And I just think the Big Ten West offensively 
and defensively, I mean, it's just it's it's as bad as I've seen it in quite a while. Yeah, and I think it, it kind of goes on to a broader, I think, for the whole Big Ten. I think outside of the, the three top-tier teams in, in Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, the Big Ten's really down this year. Uh, obviously, Maryland, uh, I think, is, is a good team. Um, I think Wisconsin could figure out some of their uh, kind of issues that they're having kind of on both sides of the ball uh, as the season goes on. But you look at the rest of it, you mentioned all the teams in the Big Ten West, but look at you know how bad Michigan State is. By the way, we get Michigan, we get Michigan State and Iowa in prime time. Uh, that's the NBC game uh, this coming week. <laughs> Somebody did a list. They were like, NBC is paying three hundred fifty million dollars, and they gave like the like the the list of games that they have had. It was like what Maryland Michigan State was this week in the three thirty mm-hmm. window, and it was like Penn State versus West Virginia. It was Syracuse and Purdue a couple Syracuse, weeks ago. Purdue. It was like all these awful games, and now we have Iowa, Michigan State. Yikes. <laughs> and it'll get better. I think they're getting, uh, well, they get Penn State, Michigan State at the end of the year. Wisconsin, Ohio State, they do get. So that might be good, depending good. on what Wisconsin looks like but at the end of October. Um, and yours truly will be there, which should be exciting. Let's go. But, um, but yeah, I just think overall the Big Ten as a whole is, is relatively down. And, you know, I go off of, you know, Bill Connolly, the writer for ESPN, his SP Plus ratings. Outside of those top three teams, the, ne- the next closest team is Wisconsin, and then no other Big Ten teams are in the top 30. Um, whereas I think the Pac-12 has like seven or eight teams in the top 30 uh, of the SP Plus. So I just think it's a downtrend. But, yeah, what a year for the Big Ten West. Maybe it shouldn't have been surprising. You have, you know, three or four new head coaches, Um in the leagues, you have a lot of changeover, especially on rosters. Offensive philosophy for you know Wisconsin, which has kind of been the stalwart of that division, and then just I just feel <coughs> complete uh, incompetence in Iowa for not making a change or not really even willing to change um, up a little bit on offense to make them even more competitive. So I think it is a, a tall tale sign for the league. But yeah, the Big Ten West—it's the worst it's ever been, which. I think is uh, poetic justice for it being the last year of the West. It was always kind of a punchline, and now it is deservedly so, uh, a national punchline once again. All right, uh, go ahead with your next one. Uh, so kind of sticking with, uh, let me see here. So mine is, I think, I think I know, and this one kind of kills me, but Alabama might still be the favorite in the SEC West. Mm. Um it looked like another kind of sluggish performance from them. What was it? Seven to six. Ole Miss was winning at halftime. It still looked like the offensive struggles that Alabama was having were, were still lingering. But they, they really kind of put it to Ole Miss in the second half. Uh, it was a very kind of old school Alabama performance. That defensive, that defense, Alabama's defense is still no joke. Uh, and they really kind of suffocated Ole Miss in the second half. Meanwhile, I thought, you know, uh, Gentleman Rowe played respectfully uh didn't have any any really terrible turnovers they were able to get the run game really going and we saw you know the difficulties that lsu had with with arkansas who had just lost the previous week before to we thought was kind of a below average byu team at home um they have to go toe-to-toe they need a last second field goal um in order to win there and i have no idea if that team is actually good or not Auburn looks like they're much in a transition year. And then Ole Miss and then Mississippi State might be 
arguably the, the second worst team in the SEC outside of uh, Vanderbilt potentially. Um, and Ole Miss, I think, is just going to be like a seven-win team again this year. Um, so I think all in all, it's just once again, and we've seen this, whenever we doubt Bama, that's when they're usually at their best. Saban knows how to shut up a lot of the, the rat poison, as he likes to call it, uh, with the college football media. And I think once again, we're seeing maybe a template for how they can win. They obviously still have some, they still have LSU on their schedule. They still have Tennessee, but I think we're seeing the template for what they could emulate because the, the rest of the SEC is down this year. The SEC, like the Big Ten, I think is, is having one of its worst years it's had in some time. And I, I just don't think we can count out Alabama yet, uh, even after their poor start to this campaign so far. Yeah, Alabama, I do think the identity for them is defense and running the football. It's a little bit like the early 2010s, like Nick Saban teams, right? Mm-hmm. Jalen Mil- Jalen Milrow, 20, uh, 17 of 21, 225 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Jace McClellan got over 100 yards. Alabama controlled the ball for almost 35 minutes against Ole Miss, had uh, 21st downs. Um, LSU Arkansas always seems to get weird. That was like a really low scoring, weird game last year in Fayetteville. Um, and it just seems like LSU just needs Jaden Daniels to play so well all the time to win these games. Like Jaden Daniels had four touchdowns. He completed oh, almost 66% of his passes and threw for 320 yards, um, against Arkansas and they needed it. Um, mm-hmm. out. It feels like LSU is very top-heavy on offense with Daniels and, like, Malik Neighbors. Logan Diggs, I do think they found something there at running back. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. Still wide open. They do play in Tuscaloosa, LSU, and Bama. Bama does have to go to College Station this year. And then, like you said, they will play Tennessee, although Tennessee already lost to Florida on the road. So we don't know how how, how good the volunteers are. Yeah, it's, it's wide open. It very well may come down to um, – the game in Tuscaloosa between Bama and LSU in early November. And then, you know, does Bama stumble else along the way? Mm-hmm. Right? Do they stumble against Auburn? Do they do they lose in College Station? I was pretty impressed with with uh, Texas A&M. You know, Connor, Connor Wigman goes down in that game, and Max Johnson comes in and, and plays really well. It sounds like Wigman's going to be out a couple weeks, maybe up to a month. Don't know exactly. I don't have their schedule pulled up, but I don't know when they get Bama. Um, but that's a team that, like, that was a very workmanlike performance. I, I thought about betting Auburn plus eight and a half because I just didn't trust Texas A&M, and they beat them without their starting quarterback, and that defense looked really good. Although Peyton Thorne might just be pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Can't yeah. For, I uh, took them. I took Auburn nine and a half, and uh, yeah, yeah. I I I almost <laughs> bet it Saturday morning because I was like, there's no way I'm trusting. <laughs> Uh, there's no way I'm trusting A&M to cover more than a touchdown in the SEC West. All right, my next one is I have no idea who the best team in the Pac-12 is. Um, USC, I thought, was just going to come in and absolutely curb stomp Arizona State, who was playing their third-string quarterback, who had numerous injuries on the offensive line, who just got beat by 29 points to Fresno. got shut out by Fresno State last, uh, two weeks prior. And ASU hung with them. Uh, USC wins by 14, 42 to 28. Um, I still think USC is really, really good. But you look at what Oregon did. They were up, what, 42 nothing at halftime, essentially? Mm-hmm. Like, they were absolutely wrecking Colorado. Utah is 4-0 and is uber impressive. Washington State's been uber, uber impressive this year. And all Washington does is continue to put up, 
like 60 points a game. They put up 59 uh, on Cal at home. The Pac-12, as we've talked about a lot, is is really, really fun. It wouldn't shock me, Lucas, with how inconsistent USC's defense has been this year. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know how you give up 28 points to ASU. Hey, I know they got Jalen Conyers back, and, and I, they, I like Eliza Badger on the outside. I don't know. I, I bet the under in that game, and that was one of my picks, because I just didn't think ASU could score on USC, and they gave up 28 points. I don't know if you saw the play that went kind of viral, like Cam Scatterborough. Like caught like a five-yard swing pass and just broke two tackles in the open field. USC just whiffed two easy tackles, and he scored like a 40-yard touchdown. Um, and USC pulled away, and Caleb Williams is awesome and will probably be the number one pick in the draft. But I just think the pack is wide open. And if you tell me, if we fast-forward to the first weekend in December and it's Washington playing Oregon or Oregon playing Utah or whatever, and USC's not in it, like it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me at all. I think the Pac-12 is, is there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good teams at the top. I don't know if USC is head and shoulders the best team in that league. No, I agree, and I, I kind of went with one of my things too, where I said I I think I think I know that I think Oregon and Washington are going to be the biggest challengers to USC. Now, Wazoo could certainly come in there. Maybe Oregon State if they rebound after this last loss. Utah. Uh, if they get Cam Rising back, um, certainly looks like with their that defense, which might be one of the best in the country, certainly will look the part. But no, I, I agree with you. I think USC has looked maybe less and less impressive as the season's gone on. They basically they kind of feel like the same team that we saw last year, where you kind of need Caleb Williams to play like a Heisman almost every game uh, for them to, to win or to win comfortably against inferior competition. And look, he can do that, but I think overall Washington just has a certain vibe to him. Like you mentioned, I think they, they must put on their board that they need to score 60 points um, every <laughs> every game or they get like punished or something, but they're, they're so efficient. They're so much fun to watch with Michael Penix and those, uh, those trio of wide receivers that they have there. Um, and their defense is just doing, I think, just enough and has played actually fairly well this season, too. And then you mentioned Oregon. I think going into that game, we knew kind of how Oregon felt about Colorado. I think they were a little bit annoyed. Uh, like some of us have felt about the type of attention that Oregon has been getting. Yes, they're a great I story. Mean, I <laughs> think it's all been valid from the start. Give, give Dion all the attention. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, give Shadur the Heisman, and let's already start putting in bets for Colorado to make the college football playoff. And, you know, they went out, and, and they absolutely sent a message. They probably could have put up 70 on Colorado if they really wanted to in that game. Um, but, no, I agree with you. The pack is super wide open, and like we said, it's not because – it's the complete opposite, I feel like, uh, previous years with the pack, where, like, it's wide open because there wasn't, like, legit teams. It's because there are so many legit teams – in this league and each week um you know the pac 12 we're probably going to have two to three ranked matchups um every single week but i agree with you i i don't know if i would say usc's the clear-cut favorite they still have the best player in that league and and arguably in the country and caleb williams and i think that's kind of their trump card they have over everybody but when you look at it from a total team layout i think you could make an argument at least right now that oregon and washington have a legit claim. And I think if Utah gets Cam Rising back um, here at some point soon, um, you can figure them into the title race as well. 
Yep. All right. I've got uh, I've got two more. Okay. Um. So I will give my second to last one, and it is. I have no idea who the second best team in the Big Twelve is. Um, Texas continues to roll. They beat Baylor thirty-eight to six. Um, Texas just looks in control of these games. They're not. They're not scoring sixty points like Washington. They're just kind of taking care of business. They have Oklahoma, uh, the first Saturday in October. Uh, there in uh, with the uh, the Red River game. Oklahoma, I was a little disappointed in. Um, Cincinnati's been a little friskier than I thought they would be in year one under Scott Satterfield. Um, they uh, that that defense holds Oklahoma to twenty points. Emory Jones and the offense really couldn't get um, anything going there. Cincinnati loses twenty to six. Texas Tech loses to West Virginia in a, in a just a bad loss. I mean, good for West Virginia for like competing and not giving up. Uh, with with Neil Brown, but that is a bad loss for Did Texas you see the, Tech. See the stat lines of that game too. No. Oh. Uh, yeah. So Texas Tech. Nasty? Yeah, it was well. Uh, West Virginia won. They didn't even they passed for ninety nine yards in that game, and they averaged three point seven yards per carry on the ground. They had less than two hundred yards total, uh, but yet Texas Tech. Uh, Baron Morton, who started, was 13 of 37 for 158 yards. Um, but just, uh, I don't know if he took over for Tyler Shuck um, or if Tyler Shuck got hurt. But Tyler Shuck only was in there for six plays. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, ugly. But continue, yeah. Very, I, well, so Oklahoma State loses to Iowa State 34-27. Remember how we made fun of the total in that game, how it should be a Big Ten West game? Iowa State puts up 34 on Oklahoma State. <laughs> I'm not sure how many quarterbacks Oklahoma State's playing in each game. It could be five or six now. <laughs> it could just be bringing in fans from the from the crowd. They could be, you know, having members of the band coming on, taking snaps. Who who knows what what Mike Gundy's doing there? Kansas State beats UCF by 13. Will Howard did end up playing in that game, and, and they they rushed for I think over 250 yards in that game. So listen, you know, uh, you know, Kansas State's three and one. Kansas is four and zero. They beat BYU by 11. Uh, they did have to uh, – they, they beat Nevada on the road the previous week by just seven. So I guess when I look at the Big 12, it's Texas, and then, like, I don't know who's, who's going to meet them in Dallas right now, right, for the, the seemingly in the Big 12 championship game. I think it's a pretty wide-open race. I don't think Oklahoma is quite as good as the first couple of weeks showed us. Kansas is, is an in- intriguing team here after four weeks. It's, I think, the second straight year they've started 4-0 under Lance Leipold. Kansas State always is their looming. And after that, I just – I don't know. I mean, maybe it's TCU. They beat SMU 34-17. Um, you know, Houston got a, a non-conference win over Sam Houston. So, a um, little, li- little confusing in the, uh, in the Big 12 conference. It is. And I think maybe one argument you might be able to make for Oklahoma is their defense looks relatively improved from last year. I think they've given up a total of 33 points. Uh, since the beginning, or 34 points uh, this season. That being said, you mentioned that they're, the teams they've gone up with are Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, and Cincinnati, uh, neither of which have necessarily high-powered or high-strung offenses. And we probably still won't know because they play Iowa State next week. Who knows, maybe Iowa State found something in that Oklahoma State game offensively. Like you said, they almost hit the over by themselves. I think it was like 35 or 36 and a half. For that game, they end up scoring 34. So I think if I had to, I'd probably say either Oklahoma or Kansas State. 
but we saw Kansas State lose to kind of a mid-tier SEC team last week or two weeks ago in, in Mizzou. And, and Kansas, like you said, they've looked impressive 4-0, but this team started 5-0 last year, then lost six out of their last seven. So my biggest question is, do you think – do you think a, a winner of the, the Big 12, do you think a one-loss Big 12 team gets in since the league has kind of overall been down this year? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's Texas, the answer is yes. Like if Texas stumbles in conference play and then they're 12-1, and one, um, I, I think the answer is yes because they have that signature non-conference win over Alabama, mm-hmm. which I think, as we talked about, will continue to look better. Um Truthfully, Lucas, it's hard for me to see anyone else finishing with one loss in this league. I mean, maybe Oklahoma. Um, I I would hope so because I, I think the Big 12 – I'm not saying the Big 12 is weak, but um, I, I, I think if it's a team besides Texas, the voters will say, well, we'll, we'll take the one-loss Georgia team that lost in the SEC championship game, right? Or we'll take a one-loss Michigan after Northwestern beats them in the Big Ten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, I, I think I think if it's Texas, probably um, anyone else, I'm just not sure. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, we'll learn a little bit. I think Kansas plays Texas this week um, in yep. Austin. Hey, they won the last time they, two years ago. They beat Texas. That was when I think that was one of. One of two, or one of the two Kansas wins they had that year, was in Austin. I think it was the first time they had ever beaten Texas in Austin. So that game maybe could be a little bit interesting. But I think the overall take from this is, I honestly did not know if I, I, I knew Texas would be the favorite going to the Big Twelve. I guess I just did not think that at this point in the season they would be the overwhelming favorite um, that they are right now. And once yep. again, it just builds on how big of a disappointment will be if they don't win this league because I think the league is a little bit more down than what we thought. But Texas is basically has been as advertised um, of their high expectations for the season. Um, let's see here. My last one, that was actually one of my I don't knows, and it was I don't know if anyone will challenge Texas this season. Um, <laughs> and my other one... We kind of talked about them earlier um, in the Big Ten, but I, I don't know if Penn State's offense is going to live up to expectations this year. Mm. Um, their offense hasn't been bad, but we we knew kind of the, the, the biggest reason we were so high in Penn State was the upset that they had on this offense. With a dynamic quarterback like Drew Allar, uh, you know, making his debut with a loaded backfield with what we argued was probably the best offensive line that Penn State has had under James Franklin. And frankly, in, in my opinion, they just have not lived up to expectations. You look at this past week, yes, they were going up against a very good defense in Iowa, but Drew Allard, 25 of 37 for 166 yards. So far this season, Nick Singleton is averaging less than 40 yards to carry. Uh, Katron Allen is averaging less than five yards to carry. Those were not numbers that we were expecting. They haven't had, you know, a wide receiver like Dante Cephas uh, or Keontae Lambert-Smith really kind of separate themselves. And I do worry as we get further in the season when they have to play in three weeks, when they have to play uh, 
Ohio State, when they have to play Michigan in November, the offense has to be better, in my opinion, because as we said before, this defense is legit. This might be the best defense in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country, and that can get them so far, but they need this offense to kind of open up and be more explosive than I think it currently is. Even, you know, you look at a couple weeks ago, Drew Lahr against Illinois. Uh, the numbers weren't great. And that's an Illinois uh, that's an Illinois team that, you know, is much regressed from you. He was 16-33 yes. to 33 yes. for 208 yards. So, I mean, he looked good in the opener against West Virginia and against Delaware, but since they entered Big Ten play, it's been really, really underwhelming. And that's the kind of thing I don't know yet is will they live up to the expectations that we had coming into the season? Yeah, it really does come down to Jewel R. I mean, in our preseason discussions about Penn State, we talked about, you know, it, can Jewel R be, you know, your Deshaun Watson? Can he be your Joe Burrow? Can he be, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, Penn State seemingly has been a quarterback away for a decade? And they finally, a little bit like how Graham Mertz came into Wisconsin, right, mm-hmm. where everyone, oh, my God, here's this highly recruited kid. You know, can he bring Wisconsin? Can he elevate Wisconsin? He ended up not doing it. With Drew Allard, it's like this is the five-star guy. This is the, you know, he sat for a year. He got experience. Like, this is – and through four games, I don't know if it's what it should look like if he is a guy. Like, I go back to Drake May. Like, remember watching Drake May early last year, and you were like, this guy's got something. Mm-hmm. Now, Notre Dame couldn't stop a nosebleed. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> couldn't stop a nosebleed last year early in the season. Um, and he had to be that. And I don't know if it's – they're not – you know, they're easing him in a little bit into his role, and, and maybe they're saying, hey, listen, Drew, like, we don't need you to throw the ball 45 times. Like, we don't need this. We, we need this offense to control the clock, get first downs, and and our defense will do the rest. Um, but, like you said, eventually you're, that's not going to happen. You know, and, and I, I would like to touch on Ohio State and Notre Dame here, you know, quickly before mm-hmm. we move on to week five. But, you know, when you play Ohio State, and even though their offense didn't look great this week, like, you're going to have to score points. You're going to have to – lead big drives in in the second half of games and and you know you know whether it's two minute drills or four minute drills like you're going to have to rely on Drew Alar and like you said like I've watched a good amount of Penn State and I haven't seen the dudes on offense that I was told they have at mm-hmm. running back uh on the offensive line and it's a little concerning and and you know, I think Illinois' defense is getting better. Iowa's defense is obviously good. I think West Virginia is a little better than people thought they were going to be. So the schedule hasn't been incredibly easy. They played three Power 5 teams in four weeks. Um, but I think at some point it should look a little better than this, considering you probably aren't going to play a team that's going to win more than eight games. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got one more real quick, and then let's touch on Ohio State-Notre uh, Dame. And, and this is one, and I don't mean to take a shot at you, Lucas, but um, I think I think I know that Brent Pry is not going to work out at Virginia Tech. Uh, that just hurts my soul. But I, one, I, I also agree. <laughs> the, uh, the Hokies fall to one and three. They have lost three straight games. They lose on the road at Marshall. Through four weeks, Virginia Tech is 106th in the country in points for, 116th in rushing yards, and 90th in passing yards. They have lost to Purdue by seven, and they lost at Rutgers by 19, and at Marshall by 17. Or, I'm sorry, by seven. Uh, they enter ACC play one and four, and you look at the ACC schedule, uh, there's no North Carolina, which is good. There's no Clemson. 
but they host Pitt this week at Florida State on October 7th. You know, Wake Forest on the 14th at Louisville. And, I mean, it's just – it's it's going to be an uphill battle for this team to get to a bowl game. Um, you're going to have to win five games in conference, which I just don't see that happening. And I don't know what you do with Brent Pry. I don't know if Virginia Tech is going to let him go after two seasons. I don't know if he should be let go, but clearly – you know, we all love the interstand man, right? The you know the clips that go viral before the games, like that's amazing. But then on the field, it just hasn't been it through you know what fourteen games essentially mm-hmm. in his tenure. No, it's been ugly. And as someone who was a believer in Virginia Tech this year, it uh, it has not been fun to to watch this. Especially you lose to a you know, a non Power Five team for the second year in a row. They lost Old Dominion last year, Marshall this year. You get boat raced by by Rutgers, which is Rutgers. Never, Luke. Yes, uh, that game was not even close. I watched a good chunk of that. Rutgers does have a good defense. I do think their defense is legit, but offensively, they don't really have much of a pulse. But no, it's it's just been a rough year. I know they have some injuries. I think at the wide receiver position, especially with guys that they thought were going to be big contributors for them this year, so that's hurt. You know, Grant Wells, their their starting quarterback, hasn't played the last couple of games. They had. Kyron Jones, who's a transfer, I believe, from Baylor, uh, yep. that they've had starting the last couple of games and just doesn't look like that's the answer right there either. And like you said, like you look at the remaining part of that schedule, yeah, Pitt is a winnable game. Pitt, I think, is terrible. Um, I actually may have something like uh, – talk about Pitt a little bit later on in our, in our picks. Um, but I don't think Pitt is very good. Um and then, but then you have Florida State wait, Like, you're going to be underdogs and probably outside of maybe the Boston College game uh, and Virginia, probably. For, I mean, Virginia's 0-4 right now. Yeah, look, so like there, are, there are some wins to be had, right? Wake Forest lost to Georgia Tech this week. You get them at home. You get Syracuse at home for, you know, at Virginia, at Boston College. Like, there are... There's a path to four or five wins, but five and three in the ACC just seems really unlikely. So. Uh, I agree. Well, when you're... Uh, like you said, when you have those losses to, like, Rutgers, Purdue. I mean, Purdue I, it might be the second-worst team in the Big Ten West, um, too, for for all we know. So, no, it, it's been rough. I don't know if they fired him. I know he Brett Pry did inherit kind of a mess when he got there. Probably, I think you hoped by year two that some of, uh, some of that would be fixed and they'd be, at least be trying to chase a bowl game. I still think if they finish, you know, if they finish four and eight, five and seven, means I think they, I think that means they start maybe turning around. And and Virginia Tech just doesn't come off to me as the place that's gonna just fire a guy um, after two years, they, especially with how patient they were with Fuente. Um, you can make an argument they didn't fire him fast enough. Um, yeah, his last couple of years there and put them in a little bit bigger of a hole, but. But, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, not looking great for the Hokies. And it's sad because, like you said, this was a, pro- a very proud program for a long time, one that was used to competing for conference titles, competing, yep. uh, you know, close to uh, for national titles some of those years under Frank Beamer. And it's sad where they've kind of gone so far, where they're kind of an afterthought right now in, in the college football landscape. Yep. Um, all right, real quick on Ohio State, Notre Dame, and then we'll move on to uh, week mm-hmm. five. Not the game I think a lot of us expected, but it was 0-0 at halftime. Ohio State wins on literally the last play of the game, right? A walk-off one-yard rush in a, a situation where Notre Dame had 10 guys on the field, and, and Marcus Freeman took the, took, the, took the blame for that, said we were trying to get a fourth defensive lineman on the field. 
didn't know if we had time, didn't have timeouts, couldn't get a penalty. Um, this was a, you know, for all the stars on offense, for your Marvin Harrisons, your Sam Hartmans, your Audrey Costemis, your, your Kyle McCord, it, it really was both of the defenses that really came out to play. Uh, a fun one, an exciting one. Just quickly, your, your thoughts on Notre Dame-Ohio State, the game of the day in week four. Yeah, actually, one of my – I actually forgot. I still had a – I think I know. One of them was with this game. It was – I think I know that if Ohio State is winning defensive battles like this early in the season, that is bad news, I think, for the rest of college football. We know they're still trying to figure it out offensively with a new quarterback. Don't know what the hell status is going to be. I know Marvin Harrison Jr. did get hurt. Um, in this game and didn't play the remainder of the game. But I think their defense is really legit. I think it's better than it was last year. Um, I think a second year with Jim Knowles there into the system has given uh, a ton of benefits. Uh, but I also thought I, it was a, just a gritty win by Ohio State. Um, they didn't have much going offensively. Sam Hartman throws that touchdown late in the game. They only have a little bit over a minute left. Um when they do get the ball back in regulation. Um, and then, yeah, just a, a huge mental blunder by Notre Dame uh, to only have – I don't know how that happens. The last play of the game, how you don't have a play set up um, on defense where you know where all your personnel is. And, and it was a defensive lineman they were missing too um, on what turned to just be a run right up the middle. Um, not saying that it would have stopped Ohio State from winning that game, but – um, that's just a, a mistake in that moment you just cannot make. Um, especially when this would have been the best win Notre Dame has had in, what, in some time since, obviously under Marcus Freeman, but one of the better. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they beat had. Clemson last year, but this would, this would have been a bigger win. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the last uh, the last big win because they didn't beat Georgia when Brian Kelly was there. I think no. they lost both the games against Georgia. So, yeah, this would have been a big one for sure. Yeah, uh, especially with, the, I think, just the, the reputation with that Notre Dame has had when we've seen them, and, you know, they haven't won a New Year's Six Bowl um, since the onset of the playoff. We've seen them when they've gone up against big brands, sometimes not even look like they deserve to be on the same field. So I think, I think Notre Dame's legit. I think they're a really, really good football team this year, and I think this just further proved it. But I think it was an opportunity lost for the most part for the Irish. All right, let's uh, let's move on and do a little Week Five uh, preview here. Um, we do have uh, a couple games on Thursday, including Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky, Temple, Tulsa. Uh, a couple of intriguing games on Friday: Louisville at NC State, seven o'clock Eastern on ESPN, um, nine o'clock Eastern on FS1. Utah at Florida State. This is the prototypical undefeated Pac-12 team. Goes on the road to the Pacific Northwest and loses. Uh, just pointing out, this, this happens every year. Just want to point that out there for everyone listening. Oregon State's minus two and a half. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Cincinnati at BYU, 10-15 Eastern on ESPN. On to the Saturday slate. Penn State meets the Big Ten West frontrunner, Northwestern Wildcats, 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Big Ten Network. 26-point uh, favorites. 26-point favorite. Hey, they beat Iowa by 31. They were the previous Big Ten West favorite. They're just going through them. 
Oh, man. The big noon kickoff game is going to be USC at Colorado. That's a noon Eastern on Fox. 10 a.m. local kick. They're in Boulder. Brutal. Uh, Noon Eastern on ESPN. Florida travels to Kentucky on the SEC Network. A&M at Arkansas. That is at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Uh, Clemson visits Syracuse. The the, – now the JMA Wireless Dome, but formerly the Carrier Dome, been a house of horrors for Tabo Sweeney and company in the past. Uh, Arizona State at Cal at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Pac-12 Network. Georgia at Auburn, 3.30 Eastern on CBS. Michigan at Nebraska on Fox. Kansas at Texas, 3.30 Eastern on ABC. Illinois at Purdue, 3.30 Eastern on, uh, on Peacock. Baylor at UCF on FS1. Moving on to... The primetime window, LSU at Ole Miss, that's 6 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Oregon at Stanford, 6.30 Eastern on the Pac-12 Network. Iowa State at Oklahoma, 7 o'clock Eastern on FS1. Game of the day, it is where college game day will be. Notre Dame at Duke, 7.30 Eastern on the uh, on ABC. South Carolina at Tennessee on the SEC Network at 7.30 Eastern. Michigan State and Iowa on NBC and Peacock at 7.30 Eastern. Uh, on to the late night window, 9 o'clock Eastern, Alabama at Mississippi State, Washington at Arizona. That's on the Pac-12 Network at 10 o'clock Eastern. And Nevada at Fresno State on FS1. Um, Lucas, I will let you go through a couple games here that you're kind of most looking forward to. Obviously, Notre Dame and Duke is a big one. Kansas and Texas is a big one. LSU Ole Miss is a big one. Um, we've got some good ones. Uh, USC Colorado, that spread's like almost 28 now. Uh, Buffaloes will be without Travis Hunter. Um, where are you? Uh, what kind of has your eye uh, in week five? Well, I think Friday night, uh, Utah at Oregon State. Can Utah continue winning the way it is? Um, we, like you mentioned, Nate Johnson playing basically a Wildcat, very run first heavy offense. Look, their offense has not been great. Uh, we kind of expected that without Cam rising. And then how does Oregon State rebound after a tough loss um, up in Pullman? Uh, they need to basically win this game in order to stay in the Pac-12 race. Two losses probably knocks you out of the running. Um, and I think, and like you mentioned, it, it's setting up exactly how the Pac-12 wanted it. They wanted an undefeated team to play on a Friday night, go on the road, <laughs> and probably lose. But that is every year. Every year, Oregon goes to play Cal in Berkeley and starts at ten o'clock Eastern on FS1, and 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 Oregon ends up losing. I'm telling you, this and it's is always during and it's always during wildfire season too. So there's some like air quality issue usually in Berkeley. Yep. Yep. But um, I think that game on Friday night, I'm interested to see how Colorado responds after getting their ass kicked this past week. What kind of energy, especially with, especially with the group they have, it's just a bunch of transfers, like you said, a bunch of missionaries that were going there to, to hopefully play, go pro. What's their response? And also, too, because we've, we've seen with USC, with that defense, a very good chance that Colorado could put up points. If, if ASU could put 28 against USC with the quarterback issues, some of the injuries that they've had, what can Colorado do? Uh, I think... To me, I think uh, Georgia at Auburn, though, after watching Auburn last week, um, offensively, they're just kind of a mess with either Peyton, whether it's Peyton Thorne or Robbie Ashford uh, controlling the things. But that is uh, in uh, on the Plains in Auburn 
Um, see, and we saw the last time Georgia had a, you know, played a decent uh, SEC opponent. Um, they struggled in the first half. So just trying to continue to see that. Um, and I would say probably if you're looking at the late window, I think Notre Dame at Duke. Duke's been silently just very, very good this year. Um, have kind of outs- pretty much have taken care of just about everybody that they've played, including Clemson, who they beat by three scores. And once again, Notre Dame coming off a really, really tough loss. Where's their mindset at? Where they have to get together, uh, you know, to play a really, really good Duke team, which I think looking at this on the schedule, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think most of us would be like, this should be not an easy win for Notre Dame, but probably a game where they're going to be a 10 to 14 point favorite. Um, And then I think also too, with uh, looking at the late time slate as well, uh, South Carolina at Tennessee. Um, South Carolina, I thought, had a pretty impressive win. Uh, Spencer Rattler was great once again against Mississippi State this past weekend. They won 37-30. to um, I am intrigued to see how they do play again. Remember, last year, this was the game that ended Tennessee's playoff hopes. Uh, in Columbia, uh, South Carolina absolutely wrecked them. Tennessee has not looked severely impressive, and I think this is one of those games that could decide who might be that second-best team in uh, in the SEC East. So those are probably the four games I'm probably looking the closest to. What about yourself? Yeah, so I'll kind of go in sequential order here. You mentioned USC and Colorado, Florida and Kentucky, and A&M, Arkansas. I think a battle of kind of the middle class of the SEC West. and. Listen, Texas A&M is, is a win over Arkansas away from, I think, building some momentum, right? They're still undefeated in the SEC. They had a nice win at home against Auburn. Uh, no Connor Wigman. It will be Max Johnson. Arkansas, I have no idea how to get a read on them. They they lose to BYU in a game they really shouldn't have lost if you look at the actual mm-hmm. box score. Um, and then they play LSU really, really tight in a game at night in Death Valley. That game, neutral site at AT&T. Florida-Kentucky, kind of like you mentioned with South Carolina-Tennessee, it really is a battle of the middle class of the SEC East. You also have Vanderbilt-Missouri, so the other six teams in the SEC East will all play each other besides Georgia, who, who will play Auburn. So I think I think Florida, you know, they're ranked 22 in the country. For some reason, they're ranked 22 in the country. They did not look great against Charlotte this past weekend. Uh, Kentucky, I think, is slowly getting better after a pretty slow start as well. Um, so that'll be, I think, kind of an interesting one there in Lexington. That is a uh, noon Eastern on ESPN. A couple games at three at three thirty that I'll hit on that you did it. Michigan on at Nebraska. Michigan's first road game. Uh, the Wolverines just, I mean, listen, Rutgers could be pretty good, but really haven't been tested. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Nebraska will test them, but it's a road game. It's a, a hostile environment. It'll be a really good crowd there in Lincoln. Interested to see what it looks like. For J.J. McCarthy, Jim Harbaugh, and company on the road. Kansas at Texas is going to be a really fun one. That's 3.30 Eastern on ABC. Two really fun offenses. Interested to see how the Texas defense handles with Jalen Daniels, who's been really, really good this year. Um, And we mentioned the Big 12. Like, Kansas has a chance to make a statement. Uh, Last time Kansas went to Austin, they beat Texas in their two-win season, first year under Lance Leipold. So uh, it will be interesting to see what that looks like. Um, let's see here. Moving on, uh, LSU will miss, um, LSU again, a little bit like Arkansas, a team that I just can't get a read on. Arkansas was like a, or LSU was like an 18 point favorite against Arkansas and, and really struggled in that game. 
Um, but Jane Daniels is really good. I mean, he's just a really, really good college quarterback. He's really fun. Interested to see how they fare on the road. Uh, kind of their first big true road game um, down there in uh, in Oxford. Um, you mentioned North Carolina, uh, Notre Dame, and Duke. Like you said, Duke four and zero. Just been rolling people. I mean, beat Clemson week one, and they've just stomped people. Beat uh, Northwestern, beat UConn, and I think they beat Lafayette as well. So they are playing really good football. And how does Notre Dame respond? Notre Dame's still in the playoff hunt, right? They have enough big games, including this one, to where if they win it and they're 11-1 and with their only loss being a, a walk-off what three-point loss to Ohio State, a lot to play for for Notre Dame. We'll see if their offense can get back on track um, against Duke. Uh, Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech, just a battle of who still wants to play college football. Just who, who who hasn't quit? If Virginia if Virginia loses if Virginia Tech loses bad, we we we, we might have a fade Virginia Tech principle here brewing here. Uh, if they're one and three and they lose to Pitt, they go to one and four. That's at eight Eastern on the ACC uh, ACC network, and then Washington Arizona, uh, ten o'clock Eastern on the Pac-12 network. I wish I could watch more Washington. They usually play super late, and now they're on Pac-12 Network, but that's just one of the most enjoyable teams to watch in the uh, country. Do you think they put up over 60 against Arizona? Over-under, I think, is, is 70 or in the high 60s. <laughs> uh, they, they will put up at least 50 on Arizona. I do think Arizona can score. Yeah. Um, that is a game that could be like 49 to 38 or something. It's going to be an insane offensive game uh, down there in Tucson. All with, right, with, let's, uh, let's, let's say wrap with, up. But Jaden Delora throwing – Three, four touchdowns and three interceptions. <laughs> yeah. Jane Delora is going to finish with like 19 touchdowns and like six. Jane Delora is essentially Jameis Winston of college football. Remember Jameis had like, yes. what, like the 30-30 season or whatever it was? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to our picks here. And boy, oh boy, Lucas, it was a tough week for a uh, tough week for the syndicate in week four. 0-6 oh for your boys. Uh, last week, uh, but we are moving on to bigger and brighter pastures. A quick recap: bit of a bad beat for myself. I picked Oklahoma minus fourteen and a half at Cincy. Um, I actually bet that at minus thirteen and a half on Friday, so I won my actual bet. But for the the basis of the pod, that is a loss as Oklahoma wins by fourteen. UCLA plus four and a half. We both took as our underdog of the week, and the Bruins never really threatened uh, Utah oh. offensively. Um, I had the under 61.5 in USC, Arizona State. Uh, the Sun Devils, surprisingly, almost put up 30 points on their own. You had the over 70.5 in Oregon and Colorado. You needed some points from the Buffaloes. Oregon did it for you. Uh, Colorado did not. You also had Ohio State minus 3.5 um, yeah. at Notre Dame. One by three. A couple bad beats for us, objectively, some some bad beats. But I, I've also had some good beats for me this year, so I, I really can't complain. So, all right, Lucas, let's start with the underdog of the week. Let's start with our upsets. I'll let you go first. Give us your upset of the week. So uh, a principle that I don't really have is you bet if Lance Leipold is a heavy underdog, you bet for him. So I'm going with that. Uh, I'm taking Kansas plus 17 um, on the road in Austin. I know Texas – has looked really good. Um, you know, they obviously they kicked the crap out of Baylor this past week, but I do think one you have to go back a couple of years ago. You know, Kansas was able to to knock off Texas in Austin. I don't necessarily think they are going to win, but I do think this could be maybe a back and forth game. Both of these offenses are very very efficient and they're very good. 
Um, and I just don't see Texas maybe blowing the doors off of Kansas in this game, though I do worry about Kansas's defense. But give me give me the Jayhawks plus 17 against the Longhorns. I also think Kansas will be motivated, as every pack, every Big 12 team is, to beat to try it when they get one last crack at Texas. So I think they're gonna have some trick plays, some really uh, really good game plan, and everything like that. Yeah. In place, so I like it. Uh, I'm gonna take Arizona State plus 11 and a half at Cal. Mm. Don't think Cal is good enough to be a double digit favorite at home against anyone. ASU, I thought, played pretty dang well against USC. Uh, they are expected to get Trenton Borgay back this week, so they're going to get a little healthier on offense. I don't know if ASU beats Cal on the road. I do think this is one of the better chances for ASU to get a win on the rest of the season, right? And um, But I, I don't think they're 12 points worse than Cal. So give me Arizona State plus 11.5 on the road uh, in Berkeley. Um, my pick of the week, I'm going to take LSU minus two and a half at Ole Miss. Short favorite for the Tigers. I just think LSU is better than Ole Miss. I, I, I think LSU is three points better than Ole Miss. Um, I think they have the better quarterback. And if I'm, if I'm, I'm pretty high on LSU. And I think if, if they are who I, I think they are, that they'll start to kind of, um, show it in the middle part of the season before they get to Alabama um, before they get to play Auburn, right, before they get Texas A&M at the end of the season. This is a game where you should win by at least seven points if you're LSU. Um, scares me a little bit. It's your first true first true road game. Um, but I'm going to trust Jane Daniels, uh, the experience. I think the LSU offense is, is, is starting to do some really good things. They scored 34 against Arkansas, scored 42 against Mississippi State. So give me LSU minus two and a half at Ole Miss. Well, Ryan, I hope we have better luck this week with our picks of the week because that was mine as well. Uh, <laughs> for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned. Uh, but, yeah, I'll be taking LSU, minus two and a half. I just think they're a better team. Ole Miss just really has not impressed me much at all this year. Um, I still have no idea why they're ranked. They beat up on you know a not great Georgia Tech team. Yep. They barely beat Tulane, who was playing a backup quarterback because Michael Pratt was hurt. Um, and then, you know, Alabama just kind of toyed with them, uh, defensively. And I think, I think LSU kind of had their, maybe their, their closer than comfort game against Arkansas this past week. I think yep. they're more closer to what they did against Mississippi state than they were, uh, uh, the team they were. And I think, I don't, I don't see them playing two very close games against teams that I think they are superior than in a row. Um, so that's why I think it's a, like you mentioned, I think they at least win this game by a touchdown. So yeah, LSU two and a half was uh, an easy one relatively for me to take. Yep. All right, give us your uh, give us your lock of the week. Lock of the week. Uh, I, so I had mentioned uh, when we had brought up Pitt um, in Virginia Tech, they are playing this week. I am taking the under um, forty one and a half, especially with Pitt. Phil Dracovic probably not going to play this week. Their left tackle or their uh, off uh, their starting left tackle also is going to be out this week, and this offense was has been dreadful. Um, they might have the worst offense in the ACC. Um, just has not worked out. We kind of had high hopes for them with Phil Dracovic coming back to his old offensive coordinator um, at his days at Boston College. And then we talked about the struggles with, with, with Virginia Tech playing their backup quarterback. 
Um, just not being able to get much of anything going on offensively. They're in the, you know, the hundreds when it comes to rushing yards, passing yards, scoring offense. So give me the under 41 and a half in Pitt, Virginia Tech. Um, I like that a lot. I, I almost, my initial lock of the week was Pitt minus two and a half. And then um, I was like, I, I don't want to bet on bad teams. Like, I, why do I, why would I do this to myself? Why would I just <laughs> not, you know? So I'm going to take another short favorite. Give me Oregon State minus two and a half against Utah. I, listen, the, the principle is this. The Pac-12 does this every year. They're going to beat up on each other. And, and it would be shocking if the Pac-12 had more than one team go undefeated and probably more than one team that had one loss. These teams are going to start beating up on each other. doesn't mean they're not as good as the other teams in the SEC or the Big Ten or whatever. It's just what happens when you play every team in your league. The, like the team in the Pac-12 will play 80-something percent of the teams in its league. So Oregon State at home, I think they get right. Utah, I just think, has been playing with fire the last handful of weeks. I don't know the status of Cam Rising. My best guess is they're not going to bring him back on a short week on the road against Oregon State. Maybe I could be wrong. Um, if they play Nate Johnson, I feel a lot better about this because they just really can't throw the football. And I don't think this team is nearly as good away from Rice Eccles as they are at Rice Eccles. They probably should have lost to Baylor. Um so give me Oregon State minus two and a half um, against the Utah Utes. I don't hate that. Um, my only worry with that is if, like, all of a sudden, Friday, like two hours before the game, you know, Pete Thamel has a report that uh, yeah. Cam Rising has gone through warm-ups and is expected to start tonight. And then it's like, well, crap. Um, then again, who knows how good he would be in his first game back, too. Uh, right. Yeah, he might be pretty, pretty rusty. But, no, I don't – I like that, especially if, if Nate Johnson is the guy again for uh, a third or fourth week in a row. All right, man. This was a fun one today. Good little week four recap. I think week five sneakily has some good matchups. I mean, you got three or four ranked-on-ranked matchups, some pretty intriguing ones starting really on Friday and going all the way to the late night um, on Saturday. So any final words here before we uh, before we depart? Yeah, I think kind of going off that, we said week four, even with some of the stack matchups they have, it was a little underwhelming in the you know close games and drama, and then when you look at week five, maybe doesn't have the high marquee matchups that week four had. But I feel like that's usually when crazy stuff typically happens is when you're you're kind of least expecting it. And I think especially as we get further, uh, as we continue to go into conference play, um, I do think a lot of these matchups, like even like one like Clemson Syracuse, I think a lot of these matchups are really really fun and will tell us more. Not necessarily about the top tier teams, but just maybe the depth of some of these leagues. Hundred percent, hundred percent. This is when uh, you know the separation Saturdays are starting here mm-hmm. as we turn the page into October, and then some of the meaningful games in the month of November. That's going to do it for us. It's another episode of Running for the Roses. We'll catch you guys back here next week to recap Week Five for Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Baffalucas. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you next time.